Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome into the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Also on the Nothing But Net channel, you might be listening to us there right now on Dash Radio. Make sure if you're not, download the Dash Radio app and go to Nothing But Net and you'll find us. You can also find a lot of our work on FiveReasonsSports.com. Spell it out. We are free. Unlike the newspapers, there is no paywall. So go to FiveReasonsSports.com. You get podcasts, uh, not just ours, but also Three Yards Per Carry is back. Five Rinse Canes had a new episode that just came out and all of the others, as well as our YouTube channel and our merchandise. Also check out all the great sponsors of the Five Reason Sports Network. That includes, and I know our other sponsors are upset at us about this, but this is one of our favorites, Biscayne Bay Brewing, the official craft beer of Inner Miami, the Miami Marlins, yes, those Miami Marlins, and Five Reason Sports. Biscayne Bay Brewing is South Florida's actual independent brewery. They're not owned by anybody else. They're owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed our community and to supporting five reasons sports so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle if you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer grab their stuff that's marlin's lager miami pale ale tropical bay ipa at all major retailers throughout south florida it's the beer we're drinking at five reasons sports again that's biscayne bay brewing and now today's episode welcome to five on the floor a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Today's floor plan, we've got a special guest. He's Matt Moore. You know him as at HP Basketball. He works now for the Action Network. He's one of the most prolific NBA writers on Twitter and just in print in general. Going to be here with Alex Toledo and myself uh, for the next little bit of time. We're going to sort of take you around the NBA, but obviously uh, we'll talk a little heat nuggets. Um, Matt, you living in, in the Denver area still? I am, yeah. Beautiful Colorado. Beautiful Colorado. Uh, how is, I, I almost, I'm afraid to ask because uh, we live in a cesspool here down in Florida, <laughs> as, as you're aware of. Uh, how, how is the uh, the COVID situation in Colorado? Has your governor bungled it like ours? No. So right out kind of the box, um, Colorado got hit with an immediate outbreak and it took our governor, Jared Polis, a little bit to kind of get the feet under him. Um, he was proactive, but not probably enough. Like one of the things that happened was they were shutting everything down, but there was still a Post Malone concert that went on at Pepsi Center. And we're all like, what are you doing? Um, but wow. since then, the reaction, that was back in March. And so since then, um, it's been really good. They got everything tamped down. The rates have been very low. And Polis in particular uh, was, after being very aggressive early with shutting down bars and restaurants and, and playgrounds and all of these things, closing schools, um, the other thing that, that happened was that when they started to, re- to get a plan for return, as opposed to 
Florida and Georgia and Texas and some of these places. He made it very clear in all of his messaging of if you want more things to be open, we have to do it slowly. If we do not go step by step, we're going to have to go backwards and you're going to be mad. And he really reiterated that over and over again. We had a slight tick up uh, since July 4th, predictably. And since there's been a lot of uh, tourism traffic from Texas that have come to the national parks. Um, and so he reinstituted he did the, the state mandated mask order and uh, have gone back down on some of the bars and restaurants. But as in large part, our rates have been very good. Where I live, um, we were down to, we had a spike up to 28 cases in a day, and we're back down to somewhere in the single digits. So that's been comfortable. I, I mean, sing, single digits. Uh, wow. I mean, right, right now we're like, we're like nearing, yeah, we're like nearing Gerald Green's uh, three point percentage for his career here in terms of uh, positive rates. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's not great, um, you know, and I'm going to be heading up to the bubble although not to live in it uh, sometime next week. So I'll get, to, I'll get to see more of our great state. Um, all right, well, we're going to talk basketball with you here. Um, obviously, COVID is, is the reason that the season got suspended. It's the reason it's resuming in a bubble. The, the big news is the NBA, again, uh, had no positive tests um, in the bubble, just like MLS has had no positive tests, uh, whereas the Marlins, I think, are now at 17 uh, positive tests tests throughout their organization. I, we're going to get to basketball with you, but I want to start here. Is there anything the NBA could have done, in your view, uh, to make this thing work that they haven't done? The only thing that I, I really look at and think that it was a mistake for, because the families that are going to be allowed in, I think that some of that you just have to be realistic about the needs of human beings. Like You just have to be a realist about the importance of family and the duration of the absence. Um, I do, however, keep returning to the fact that I don't think they applied enough pressure to Disney in saying, look, if we're going to be giving you all this money and we're doing this in partnership with you and we're giving you this exposure, um, we need to make sure that anyone that's involved with our product is safe. And so we need you to either house uh, on campus the staff and their families or provide health monitoring and testing for these employees along with assurances that they'll be taken care of. No one should be uh, at risk of major hospitalization and facing that on their own if the risk comes from a possible interaction while at work for an NBA product. Like this is our product and if we're gonna take care of our people, we need to make sure that we're taking care of everyone. That's the one thing I can look at. Like I've read the 108 page protocols. I'm sure you have Ethan and like, yes. it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's amazing. <laughs> and it's so thorough. It's like an incredible document in terms of how thorough it is. And I just kept wanting to tattoo it on people's faces when they were talking about things <laughs> they did not know about on Twitter. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to do this, you need to, be, it is not an, uh, enough to me to simply be concerned about your players and coaches. I know mm -hmm. that everyone in this current environment wants to be that, to be their focus, like the players and player agency and like they're human beings. Like absolutely true. All of this is correct, but there are people that are at considerably greater risk, especially given various health factors. And that's the staff. And that those are the people that I'm most concerned about given where the bubble is positioned uh, in terms of orange County 
and given the the risks inherent with going to work and working alongside one another in these environments? Yeah, well, you, you could fill up a, a long list of things that people talk about that they don't know anything about on Twitter. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's that's sort of that sort of goes without saying. I I, I do think that uh, there has been a segment of the population that is kind of waiting for the NBA to fail, right? Like they 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 want to see the this not you know, they want to see this not work, I think. Uh, and, and I think those people are so heavily invested in that at this point that I'm not saying they've done everything right, but I think when you compare it to MLB, which is basically, let's just keep flying around the country uh, to play 60 games, or you compare it to, you know, I mean, the NHL did the right thing getting the hell out of the country. But if you, you compare it to the NFL, which, I mean, still thinks people are going to play in, that people, fans are going to come to their stadiums in the fall. I mean, I don't know how you could expect much more of silver. And I tweeted something tonight, Matt, that actually I just um, I turned my notifications off because a certain former Heat, you know, a certain Heat legend just retweeted it. So I guess he agrees uh, that that I don't I don't really understand. You know, Silver's getting a hard time from some about for first about China, but also about testing and this idea that he, it's like you can't win either way. If if you don't test the players properly and they come down with coronavirus, then it's your fault. But if you give them regular tests, then it's why are they getting tests and nobody else is getting tests. And I, he even came up with something today where he's going to provide free tests in that area. But I, I feel like we're expecting more of Adam Silver than we are of the government right now. Like the 108-page protocol is more than, you know, we're getting out of Washington, D.C. So – I don't think people are rooting for it to fail. I think that it comes off that way. Cause like, I agree. Like that's how I take it too, is I'm just like, why do you want this to fail badly? Like you are supposedly like an NBA fan and personality. Like, why do you not want basketball to happen? I think it's more just that there's on Twitter, a very uh, strong performance. Like it's entirely performative. And so, um, if you position your, your, everyone's always racing to the highest ground and the highest ground is shut all sports down. Don't risk anyone's life. No one should die for sports. Sports are not important. And it's like, look, we have to deal with the realities of the world that we live in. And that doesn't mean going the other way and being like, let's just go like what baseball's thing has been like, well, guess we'll see. And NFL's has been like, what virus? And so like, you don't do that. You take as many precautions as you can, which is what the NBA has done. The testing stuff has been frustrating for me in the sense of one, I think we have pretty much proof now, given the high rate of players, like there is a, uh, what, like a five to 7% positivity rate across all players tested prior to the bubble. Um, they would not have known that they had COVID in some of these cases because they were asymptomatic and they were like, I felt fine, which means they would have continued going to the grocery store or going to see friends or doing the other things that people do in their lives as we all manage this, we all have to participate in risk management. So in a lot of ways, to be perfectly honest, the testing that was done for the NBA likely contained spread just by being like, hey, you've got COVID, you should stay inside until you come down here. Um, and then two, the idea that these tests, it's like, it's binary where if the NBA wasn't testing, then these tests would be going to people that need it. That's not how this works. Right. Like that's just right. not how this works. Those tests would simply not be used because this is about logistics and it's about money. And those two things are continue to, to go be problems. And the reason they continue to be, still be problems is that this is the job of the government. <laughs> is that this is why we have a government. Someone please go read Rousseau. Like, for the love of God. I do not understand. That, like, the NBA is not responsible for public health policy. The NFL, the NHL, MLB isn't. 
And quite honestly, the states are overwhelmed because they don't have guidance from a federal level. This is entirely the fault of our federal response because that's why we pay taxes for them to protect citizens. Again, this is why we have a government. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. All right, well, we have a league. Um, they're coming back. They're starting as we speak tomorrow. Uh, and most people will be listening to this on the day that the NBA resumes after what, roughly a four, I guess about a four month break, a little bit more than a four month break. Um, we've had a bunch of people here on five on the floor, you know, talking about how you really can't predict anything, right? I mean, you're in the prediction business to a certain degree. You work for the Action Network. We had Stan Van Gundy saying on, I don't know how you would gamble on this because, <laughs> I mean, we didn't know how all the players were going to come back. You've got you know, a couple guys who've opted out, obviously not as many as I anticipated, not as many as we're seeing in the NFL, but it's kind of all sort of very much up in the air uh, here. But you did write a piece, and Alex and I wanted to get into this, about the Bucks, who were not just good this year, but historically good, but you think they're vulnerable. Um, why? The big problem is that their defensive scheme, which is drop, and they are the best in the league at it, inherently allows shooters, especially from deep, to get shots up. They allow a high number of three-pointers. So do the Raptors. Um, the versatility, though, is the key here. The Raptors, if they need to, can tailor their approach to they're going to switch or they're going to blitz or they're going to play zone. They are, Nick Nurse is the best defensive coach in the league and probably the best overall coach in the league right now in terms of um, – the flexibility that it brings to the table. I think if we look at the Bucks in particular, what bit them last year was they did a pretty good job on Kawhi Leonard and they did a pretty good job on Danny Green and they did a pretty good job on all these guys. And then Fred Van Bleet went absolutely thermonuclear on them and it blew up the entire construct. If they face a team in the second round, like the Miami Heat, particularly with the number of handoffs that the Heat run, they run the most in the league, they are going to be very vulnerable to those shots unless they completely flip their defensive identity. And Mike Budenholzer is from the Popovich school of thought, which is you don't switch up your identity. You make adjustments, you switch up rosters, you do little tweaks, but you don't change what you do. Like you dance with the one that brung you. And in this Bucks case, it's a defensive scheme that's very vulnerable to shooting and both the Heat and Celtics have the capacity to shoot the Bucks out of the playoffs. Matt, so I think it's fascinating that you talk about the drop and it's one of the things that you really talk about in this article here. Heat fans have become familiar with the drop defense over the past few years with us on Whiteside. But now the kind of the, the backline defender there is Myers Leonard. And, and it's kind of something that Spolster has had to do just to, as, you know, he's, he's got the personnel that he's got, right? And that, that team is basically a rotation of, let's say, six subpar to worse defenders. And I think that he's done a great job getting the team to about 14th all season in defensive rating. Do you think, do you think there's any defensive upside for this Heat team in the playoffs now that they've got basically an offseason and a training camp to kind of integrate some of the guys that they got a trade deadline because I think that's kind of one of the the things that's going to be really important if you're talking about the heat making any sort of uh surprising run is how is their defense specifically their point of attack defense and how it goes from there is any of that going to improve 
So I actually wrote about the Heat back in January, and I said, you, as betters, because they were one of the best teams against the spread, I was like, you might want to start looking to fade the Heat a little bit because their defense is going to regress, and lo and behold, mm-hmm. it did until the, the end of the, the – until the suspension of the season, um, in large part because it was just – if you looked at the expected value of shots, what, what opponents shooting from the positions that they were – um, they should have shot a lot higher. It was such a deviation. It was the highest in the league between what the expected effective field goal percentage was and what the actual was. Um, now, that data point, you have to go back and you have to actually watch. And when I watched, I was like, no, these guys really are just missing shots. Like, this is going to come back down. I think, the, I think the heat shooting, which was above their expected value, is sustainable because they just they have Duncan Robinson and <laughs> they have insane shooters. It's why Iguodala is important. It's honestly, to me, why Jay Crowder is very important. Um, that was a steal that they got was, was Jay Crowder and their ability to deploy veterans that know how to switch, that can call those out, that can body guys that they try and post them, but can also contain guards is going to be a very big deal. A lot of the younger guys are going to have trouble with that. That's an issue is younger guys. They're just, they are not as experienced. They don't have uh, they're not conditioned as well for NBA movements. And so a lot of times those young teams struggle with perimeter contain and that was an issue for the Heat. Adding Iguodala and Crowder helps that a lot. I also think that because they don't have to play like a standard defensive scheme and they can tailor their approach with Spo at the helm, like I have a lot of confidence he's going to figure out ways to do that. Bam and Jimmy Butler. If you put those two together and you're just like, I need to, I need, I need to build a defense around these two guys, that gets you a lot of the way there. Like that's a that that brings you further than a lot of other approaches will. Like you, a scheme is one thing, but at the core of it, you need really engaged, active, athletic, versatile guys, and the Heat have that. I think Miami has the capacity to be a really good defensive team, or at least a pretty good defensive team. I don't think they're going to be an elite defensive squad, but I think they can be good enough that their shooting makes it irrelevant. For sure, I think that's something that's kind of been, you know, we're going to keep monitoring as the season resumes but another reason to mention the drop here is like I said the Heat also deploy that and like you mentioned in the article and just mentioned before uh, it's very susceptible to shooting we just saw it yesterday with the Heat uh, when they played the Grizzlies who were just not even a good shooting team they had a very fluky game but at the end of the day the drop is going to allow a lot of threes guys are going to hit it more often I mean sometimes more than others but the thing with the Bucks is they're a very good shooting team the Heat are going to allow a lot of threes there. And I think the Bucks are going to try to do their best to chase Duncan Robinson, make sure to not go under any screens and just tell Brooke Lopez that even though you're going to be staying back, some of these other guys on the wings had to leave their man open and just go chase Duncan. So we may see a lot of open Jay Crowder shots or open Andre Iguodala, maybe even open Kendrick Nunn or Hero or Dragic who are good shooters, but they're just like, no, we can't, we, we're prioritizing Duncan Robinson. I've read a lot about how the Bucks prioritize the best shooting weapon on the other team defensively. As far as a Heat-Bucks matchup, I think it's really interesting because the Heat have a lot of ways that they can kind of take advantage of the Bucks drop because Brook Lopez is very slow. There's a reason they put him there, same reason that the Heat put Myers Leonard in that scheme. Once they start dropping back like that, guys like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson in their starting lineup and then Dragic and Hero off the bench can really kind of take advantage of that. Is this something that you think as far as as expected effective field goal percentage argument and the data point that you're referring to before, that the Heat can kind of replicate some of that or put some t- together some sort of three-four facsimile of what the Raptors did to the Bucks last year, where they just outshot them more than you would expect. Yeah, so I think the the big key here is 
the reason that they that teams run drop is actually ironically to try and deter three-point shooting um the problem is if you drop so far a lot of what happens is you t- you you give up off the dribble stuff yep. and what i noticed when i went back and i watched all of the threes that the heat rained down the bucks in their two regular season matchups is the heat ran a lot of uh off screen stuff off ball so they would take they would run an off ball screen using lopez's man for a guard and none or duncan robinson um would circle over those screens catch and then Lopez is dropping back and the screens are so are so good that there's room then for that player to rise and fire the other thing is you know Kawhi if you look at the overall numbers Kawhi wasn't elite in that Raptor series we kind of remember it that way because he had moments but overall if you just like if you take a step back they're like no they did a pretty good job on him Um, but what this the drop does do on ball is it allows Jimmy Butler to just, all right, I'm just going to take two dribbles and take this pull-up jumper. And he is Mm -hmm. really good about putting dudes in jail. Like he's really good about getting them on his hip and then taking that little leaner in the the lane. And those sequences are really difficult. Now the Bucks have counters to this. Like if they put Giannis at the five Mm -hmm. and just say, we're switching everything, that's Mm -hmm. trouble. That's, a, that's trouble yeah. for the heat. right but well the thing is but, there they can then take out their myers or their kelly alone their slow-footed big and then try to go to what they went to in the second half of the season after they made the trades and go back to switching and see how that works and basically go bam do your best on Giannis. we've seen bam do a very good job on Giannis over the regular season i don't know how much you take a counter set as a playoff matchup but how would you feel about that that counter yeah, so I mean, there's things that there's obviously counters to counters, and a lot of it is like what's sure. going to bring you the the best opportunity. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so interested in the Heat as a possible upset. Is it's like, okay, well, well, given all these things and given the strength of the two teams, even after all these adjustments, the Bucks should win. But the Heat just have the shooting that could just nullify all this. Like they just have superior shooting, and if Robinson is just going wild on offensive rebounds and little plays like that, those margins can wind up being the difference in the series. Like people forget how close game three was with the Raptors. Like the Raptors nearly lost that game at home. And if they had, like that was it, that was mm-hmm. curtains. So mm-hmm. it's a, a lot of it is it's like, a, it's a shot here. It's a shot there. And if I'm looking at those, like I have a lot of confidence in Miami because of the number of weapons that they bring to the table. I think they can probably switch, especially if they deploy Iguodala and Crowder a little bit more, but they're always in those situations. The problem with switch, like one of the key issues is I, I talked a little bit about this. The bucks are using Giannis as a screener more than they have under Budenholzer last season. Yep. Um, and the big counter to, to switch is you mm-hmm. slip the screen. Mm-hmm. And so if it's Bledsoe or Middleton running that pick and roll, um, and you try and switch it and Giannis is the one slipping. <laughs> no chance. Good luck. <laughs> no chance. Best of luck to you. So well, like let, that's the counter. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Matt, because you mentioned something and, and, you know, we talked a lot about this on the last episode of five on the floor is that, you know, the heat, when you get behest Jimmy and bam, they, they don't have a lot of what are currently two way players. You know, we, we kind of have, you know, we got certain guys in the more defensive category and I'm a big Crowder guy, but you know, you lean Iguodala Crowder, DJJ, uh, are kind of more in that area. And then you've got the other guys who have struggled defensively, you know, whether it's, you know, Robinson, Dragic, Nunn, um, you know, and, and that and that crew and, and Hero to a certain extent. 
Um, I guess my, my question is, if you're going to play your better your, your defenders who are better switching, who you can switch with, Iguodala and Crowder already seem to have a chemistry, you're going to play those two with Butler and Bam. question I keep asking is, do you have enough shooting then with that lineup? Because if you're going to play those four, unless Jimmy's making his mid-range at a, at a level that he was not this season – you know, and unless Andre's hitting that corner three and Jay, you know, you don't have regression to the mean with Jay from what he did when he first came here, you really only got one shooter on the floor, right? I mean, whether it's Robinson, Dragic, Hero, whoever it is that you put in there. This is why, honestly, I think part of it is they need to run some five-on laps. I think Kelly Olenek brings a lot to the table in this. Um, I watched I watched a lot of those clips and noticed that Olenek was able to get separation from Lopez running pick and roll and pick and pops. And so if Olenek is able to counter that, yep. that neutralizes a little bit of what we're talking about there. Like that's part of how you do that. Olenek is a good defender. He's a good passer. He's a good screen setter. And he can slip and, and pop for one of those threes. And so that's – I look at him as a guy that I would circle and say – he's got an opportunity to be a difference maker in that series. We, we've, talk, we've talked about him more lately, Alex. I feel like we ignored him for a while, and then he made 20 out of 33s coming out of the break, and he's looked great so far. I, I do think really one of the things – Like their backup offensive hub now. They basically use him as Bam off their bench as a dribble handoff guy right. from the top of the key. And I think that's basically the balance that Spo has struck here with this roster. What were you yeah. saying? Yeah, no, no doubt. I think that you look at the two lineups he's got now when we talk about the typical starting lineup, which is Leonard, you know, Adebayo, Butler, Robinson, Nunn, and then he's coming off, you know, with Olenek, Iguodala, Crowder, Hero, and Dragic with DJJ as kind of a flip man who can, who can go pretty much in either lineup. Uh, he has balance between offense and defense, but again, it's tilted uh, more on offense. All right, after the break, I, I want to get some more specifics, uh, not just about Heat Bucks, but I want to talk about some of the other matchups in the East because we've talked a lot about the Celtics, but I also want to get into some nuggets with Matt because uh, he knows them well, and that's the Heat's first opponent. But first, a word from Safe Cubbies. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19, safecubbies.com, which is locally owned is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com. Matt, let's uh, let's get to another matchup in the East. I didn't plan on going here with you, but this stuff is so good on the Bucks, And, and we've, we've talked some about the Bucks, but we've also talked some about the Celtics. And we've kind of come to a conclusion here at five on the floor that this is the worst matchup for Miami. And not just because they lost the, the two game, the games against them this year, which were second. I know you're big on second night of back-to-backs, and these were second night of back-to-backs. Um, 
but it, they just pose more problems for Miami, it seems, because they have two-way wings. Um, Hayward went off on them in the second game. Uh, they uh, Miami can't hide a lot of bad defenders on the Celtics. Players. On the Celtics, exactly. Uh, it, what what do you, when you look at that matchup? Provided again, Kemba's knee is right, which is a big question in the bubble. Uh, is that a matchup that Miami can do anything with? I think it's tough. Uh, I think if I mean the good news is when you look at the the differentials and the gaps, it's highly unlikely that Toronto slides down to four, and it's highly unlikely that. Uh, Miami or that Boston slides down to five or four to face Miami and anybody jumps them. Um, it would not only take the Sixers going on an unbelievable run, but it would also take Boston and Miami underperforming in order for that to catch. So the likelihood of them seeing them is very, very low. Um, in part, I, you know, I think one of the keys here is there's two matchups for Miami. I really worry about it's the Sixers and it's the Celtics. If things stay as it, as they are now, I actually think this is the Uh-oh. premium. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And lie for Miami. I think that this is the, the right kind of matchup. Because the problem, I think, with, with Boston is they have so many shot creators mm-hmm. that the Heat the Heat are basically like, okay, we have some strong defenders, and as long as the other guys are fine, the Celtics have the ability to just hunt down matchups. Whether yeah. Because they have so many creators. They have no frontcourt depth. Right. Mm-hmm. So like in that series, Bam would have probably would be able to do whatever he wanted. But Bam's also not a guy that you look at and go, I'm worried about him going for 40 every game. Right. He does like everything, which is incredible. He's incredibly skilled. But you're not really worried about that. If you have Marcus Smart, uh, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to throw at Jimmy Butler and be like, we're just going to keep yep. finding like we're just going to cycle these guys through until we find something that works. Um, the Heat's depth is better, but that obviously I think matters less as the playoffs go on. And they have so many different ways to hurt you that they would be able to find those holes in those defensive coverages. You know, they would hunt down. If you try and switch, they're going to hunt down whoever it is that's the weak point and really target them in a way that the Bucks really don't. They have a lot more versatility and they have, you know, and their defense is still very, very good. So, um, I, I would lean heavily towards Celtics if it's Celtics Heat in any sort of series. I think it's really tough, uh, the Celtics matchup for the Heat. And for every all the reasons you're saying, they really can't hide anybody because they could really just abuse you on whatever uh, matchup they've got there. The thing with the Celtics to me is Kemba is just a drop killer. The guy will pull up if you go under a screen, if he gets that space. And if you have you know your perimeter guy, make sure that, you know to run him off the line and kind of force him inside and maybe funnel to him to the seven-footer, whether it's Myers or Bam. And you've got other guys that are going to be, you know, that can really just go off the catch and, and create for themselves. It's really just an, a cycle of creators all over the floor. And I think that you said that the Sixers matchup is, is somewhat of a difficult one for the Heat. And we've kind of argued amongst ourselves all seasons about that matchup. We've kind of gone both ways about it because I think at first we were all to different degrees more or less worried about the Sixers. And as the season went on, the Heat, you know, won the season series three to one, kind of figured some things out and uh, just how to beat the Sixers' size and their drop. 
and just basically figuring out that their shot making is very good. How would you feel about that Heat Sixer series now that we what we know now that we know what we know about the, how the Sixers are running things with Simmons at the four and you know they're back to being healthy? How would you feel about that matchup in itself? I think it creates a lot of problems. I, I think when you have Shake Milton, who is much more of a three point threat and will punish the drop on his yes. own. Like that's a pressure point that they'll just and you have to have guys that are willing to shoot and Shake's absolutely willing to shoot. The other thing is, the Sixers are so good defensively, so good defense. They're not just like good; they are incredible defensively because of their athleticism, discipline, and acumen. That they will drag the Heat into more of these grinded out knockdown games, and Butler's made for that. But I don't know that anybody else on Miami is. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that kind of a series is just not one where they're going to be comfortable. There's going to be very few opportunities to get free. They're going to sick um, one of their their premium defenders on Robinson and just be like, just crowd him all the time. Tybal Tybal's going to be all over Duncan. Yeah, Tybal will be all over him scary. for a lot. Well, Tybal or Josh, right? I would think yeah. they would just rotate the two of them and throw Simmons on him occasionally. I, I I think I think this is I think what you're hitting on is really interesting because Miami is so unconventional in some ways that. You know, you just look at the standings and you'd say Milwaukee, Toronto, okay, you don't want to play those teams. But I, I agree with you that Boston and Philly, for a variety of reasons, provide more problems for them. Um, and, and I do think with the state of Indiana now not having Sabonis, that Heat Sixer series is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we're headed for, I think, a 4-5. And I do think that certain adjustments that Eric made worked, I mean, We've talked a lot about how you know, one subtle thing he did was in the first game against Philly that they got blown out, Myers Leonard played one stint. After that, he played him, uh, you know, the second stint in the, fir- in the first half all three times, and it was more effective. But if Philly's playing differently, if they've taken Horford off the court, it's harder to do that, right? I mean, you're, you're not – it doesn't present the same advantage. I, I do think that there's going to be uh, some issues there for sure. So – yeah, that's that's interesting. All right, well, let's get to their first uh, opponent, though, because you know the Nuggets uh, pretty well. And, you know, I, I think we were all surprised the shape that Jokic came back in. Uh, I don't think that's the direction we thought that that would go. Uh, I, I, I know we're going to talk a little bull-bull here, but how do you project Denver in the West? To me, they're one of the hardest teams to kind of figure out where, where they fit and if they can, you know, seriously challenge. I guess it would probably be the Clippers – um, you know, to get to the conference finals. Yeah, so I think a lot of it is is they got to get healthy, and they're they're a mess right now. Um, going in, like Malone was on Michael Malone was on his press conference today, and he was just clearly very stressed out, and made mention of more than five guys sat out practice today with various ailments or out of precaution. Like they they haven't had anybody. They 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 were able to practice five on five before the scrimmages. That's how many guys they had out. Um, So they've been really up against it. And then once guys have gotten in, the guys that were here from the start, like Will Barton, they've done so much that they're getting a little worn down and they've had to hold Barton out of two games out of precaution. Um, So they're really banged up going into the actual seeding play. As far as the long term with the Western Conference, it's unlikely, I think, that they slip uh, to four or five, it's possible if Houston just goes supernova, but uh, it's likely they finish in the two three matchup. 
I like their matchup versus the Clippers actually quite a bit. Uh, if they can avoid – the ideal for them would be that Utah slides down because of the Bogdanovich injury, and they wind up in a 3-6 versus Utah, who they beat in both meetings this season, and Rudy Gobert really just can't handle Jokic anymore. Jokic is a habit of if he loses a, a, a series to a guy, even regular season, he turns around and adjusts and comes back way better, and he absolutely dominated Gobert this season. Um, if they get that 3-6, then they can get out of the first round. And then I like them versus the Clippers because – Ivica Zubac and Montrez Harrell are simply not good enough to be able to contain what Jokic is able to, to put pressure on. Um, Zubac can't handle him on the perimeter where he's able to hit from outside and punish them with passes, and that opens up the passing lanes. And then um, as good as the Clippers are, and they're dominant with, with Leonard and, and Paul George, sure, um, the Nuggets' various pressure points aren't ones that the Clippers are well positioned to attack. And so I think that series is probably a lot closer than people would think. The big thing for the for the Nuggets, though, is if they fall into the 4-5, they're done. Because if they fall into the 4-5, even if it's versus Houston, and even if they make it out of that series, the Lakers, they cannot beat. The Nuggets' basic pl- plot to a finals is that the Rockets get into the 4-5, the Rockets beat in the first round, they upset the Lakers in the second round, the Nuggets get past the Clippers, and then, then the Nuggets beat the Rockets as TV executives everywhere drink themselves to sleep. Um and then, you know, at that point, I think the Nuggets probably do beat Houston in advance to the finals. But that takes – there's so many ifs in that construct that you can't think it's, it's likely. Um, they need a lot of firepower from young guys, particularly Michael Porter Jr. They need their guys to stay healthy, which has been a struggle. There's a lot of things going against Denver. They've been good when adversity hits them, but there's so much of it, it's hard to feel confident about their chances right now. Um, so – Keeping going with the Nuggets and their talk. So the Heat are going to play them on Saturday. It's going to be the first of the seeding games. How, how do you feel about that matchup in general? I know, you know, it's only one game, so we're not expecting any coaches to, you know, change anything up. That stuff happens in the playoffs and seven-game series when you sniff out people's habits. But as far as this one exhibition seeding game, how, how, what do you think about that matchup specifically? I mean, I think it favors Miami. I think for starters, Denver hasn't been a good um, – has not been a good shooting team all season. And while the variance in the bubble is certainly a question mark, I don't think I don't have any expectation. The Nuggets are going to come back up suddenly a fire, just flamethrower. So I, I think inherently they're going to have a little bit of an edge there. Um, I think, you know, they're favored. The, the Nuggets are favored by two. I would probably put that at probably heat minus one as a, as a favorite, as a small favorite in this, in this environment. Um, I like the Bam versus Jokic matchup. It's athleticism combined with skill. That's a really favorable matchup, I think, in terms of if you're going to build a guy to go against Jokic, Bam is the kind of guy that I would build to kind of counter him. Myers actually gave him some trouble last year in the playoffs. And Olenek is is a comparable type player who's also physical, uh, big enough, and and a good passer. So there's issues there. Uh, I like all of like Kendrick Nunn should be able to get pretty free, if especially Jamal Murray is guarding him. Um, Butler will have his way. They, they struggle with, um, the, the Nuggets really struggle with dominant wings and Torrey Craig has shown success against smaller guys and bigger guys, but it's the ones in the middle, like Butler where he tends to struggle. So I would think that, uh, like I give Miami a pretty good chance in that game. All right, so let's ask about the guy that Miami is obsessed with because it's one of those things where they picked a player for somebody else that they were never intending to keep, but he's a player that my, that, my, that Heat fans were, were kind of targeting in the second round. And so it was like, you know, you gave him cookies and then you gave them to somebody else. 
Uh, is Bull Bull, I know you're talking about all these injuries, and obviously Mike Malone came out with that crazy lineup where, you know, Jokic was basically playing point guard. Is Bull Bull going to play a lot? Uh, I mean, is he going to play a lot in this first game? Is he going to play a lot during these eight, I guess, sort of tune-up seeding games? Not unless he's forced to. Um, so his minutes dropped off considerably in that last scrimmage game. Uh, Malone probably, if I asked him now, he'd say like, yeah, I might try and find him some minutes. Like I think, you know, he's been really good and we, we got to get that kid on the floor. He's super talented. He says these things and then the game comes and he's like, Oh God, they're on a five Oh run. I have to get my veterans back in. I can't afford screw ups. He has a hard time trusting the kids. Like it's just, it's just a thing with Malone. I think versus some of the other coaches, um, Nick nurse is really good at this. Spo honestly is really good at this. Um, he has Malone's threshold for young guys is very high. Like you have to be really smart and know the offense. And now they're Michael Porter Jr. No Bowl know a lot about what they're doing right now. Now I think he should play because just the presence of a seven, two guy, they can hit threes off the dribble from distance. That's insane. Like it just bends uh, the, the look on people's faces when he came out in these scrimmage games the look on guys' faces was just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, how, how do I <laughs> – what do I do with this? Um, there are ways that, that you can definitely adjust to Bobo on the defensive end, but he blocks a lot of jumpers, which is kind of crazy. Like, he just blocks jump shots because he's so long. And so there's a lot that he brings to the table, but um, – I thought that I thought a couple of games ago, I was like, he will probably, I was like, I bet he plays bowl in these regular season games. Cause he's going to give the guys time to acclimate. But I think there's a sense of desperation that's building with Malone and he tends mm-hmm. to burrow down in those situations and go with what he trusts. So now I'm of the mindset that maybe we won't see him. I think we'll see him for small minutes, but nothing significant. But what's the long-term plan there? Because I mean, you have, I mean, an all NBA center basically, I mean, are are the two of them playable together long term? What, what yeah, is, what's so, the organizational plan? So, I mean, they think they're going to monitor Bull's progress, and the foot injuries are real, and that's a concern, as are Michael Porter Jr.'s various injuries in his foot and pack. But look, I, I do think that on some level, the Nuggets have managed to target and find guys that are 6'10 or taller that can shoot from distance reliably. And so, as much as the league is going the small ball, um, they won't go five bigs like they had to in that in that opening scrimmage game. But I do think that there will be a move towards bigger, more athletic guys because as Michael Porter Jr. gets more experience under him and strength training and turns into a fully formed player, and the same happens with Bull, Bull's honestly too thin and too and not strong enough to handle playing center right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I legitimately think that there and his ability to space the floor does combine like he and Jokic actually combine together very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I'm very resistant to ideas of playing Jokic next to other big men after the disaster that was the, the twin towers with Nurkic, the right. bowl is such a fundamentally different player. I do think that they envision a day when the idea is Jamal Murray, a large two guard, Michael Porter jr. At six ten at small forward bowl bowl at seven, two at power forward and Nikola Jokic at six eleven at center and just good luck with that. That's the, that's like the whole idea. So look, I think long-term, I think that's definitely on the table. I don't know if it'll work out that way. Bobo may be a reserve player. We'll see what happens with MPJ. There's a lot of question marks, but I do think that the, their combination of skills and shooting is quite frankly frightening to think about being able to play them together. All right. So I'm going to go through some awards with you here real quick. And I know Alex has got some other stuff, but uh, I, I know, do you have, do you have votes this year? 
Nope. I had votes. I worked really hard for one vote one year, and then I left for Action Network and haven't had votes since seven. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I don't have the votes anymore because uh, LeBron always used to look at me crosswise when uh, you know, I, I, I made a couple of uh, picks against him in early years that I, I wish I could have back. But all right, let's go through it. Uh, is First thing, real quick, any case to be made for anybody but Giannis for MVP? No. Okay. Thank LeBron you. was great. He was amazing. There's just no question. Like, it, if you look at it from any angle, like – Team success, absolutely historic. If you look at statistically, absolutely historic. Like, part of it, I get frustrated with the idea that, like, well, LeBron's 35. I'm like, you don't get bonus points for being old. Like, you, I'm, <laughs> I'm 38. Bad. I don't get bonus points. That's not a thing that happens. Like, you <laughs> right. were born younger. Congratulations. Like, no, this is not a thing. So, no, Giannis is the MVP. All right. Uh, most improved player. I have a really hard time with this one. Um, I tend to I tend to look at Bam a lot. Like I just think that Bam's impact was was so was such a big difference in terms of his impact on the game. Um, he's where I lean with a lot of this. I think there are arguments for a lot of guys. One guy that I don't think will probably wind up on the ballots because he has such a big playoffs. But Fred Van Vliet, I think, deserves more credit. That guy for a while, while Lowry was out, was that he was there was a long stretch of season where he was top five in both three pointers made and assists. And, like, that combination for a team without a real superstar player is really impressive to me. Uh, rookie of the year is Morant, right? Yeah, it's Morant. you, you got to play the games. Okay, defensive player of the year? Um, this one, I, I always, like, tend to think a little bit outside the box on this one. I'm fine with the vote for Giannis. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's, like, that's perfectly valid. I actually lean a lot towards Ben Simmons. Um, having done as much work on watching him as I have for various things I've worked on, like he is just incredible. Like he's just an incredible defensive player. And a lot of it is credited to Embiid's rim protection, but Simmons' ability to just hawk you and then recover and make multiple plays on one possession, like he's constantly doing things that are disruptive in a way that is is quite frankly awe-inspiring. I think Giannis is the most effective maybe defender in the league, maybe the most impactful defender, but I have a lot of respect for what uh, Ben Simmons brings to the table. I do not think it's Gobert. No, we don't either. Uh, last one uh, from me, coach of the year. It's got to be Nick Nurse. I just don't have any other way. Like their, the, their ability to integrate any offensive and defensive wrinkle that they need to, the number of guys that they've had out to compete and finish as the two seed in the Eastern Conference in a pretty tough East this year, honestly. Um, for the, the way that they are able to mix and match defensive coverages for his composure and the way that the guys all seem to like it. Like he's super professional. There's, there's no like, well, he's this, but you know, but he's, he wins games. Like he's just like a good dude that everyone likes and he wins a ton of games. Like I think it's gotta be Nick nurse. All right. So now let's transition to some playoff matchups talk. I mean, we already did some, but, the one that everybody wants to see, first and foremost, Lakers and Clippers. I think that's that's the one with the most hype. I think a lot of people uh, know that the three best teams in the league are the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Clippers. As far as this Western Conference matchup, I know it's really hard to pick one. I'm sure I, I know the Clippers kind of came out as a favorite. The so Lakers sort of proved themselves as uh, a team to be reckoned with as the season went on. And the Lakers and Bucks were really the, the two most consistent best teams during the season. Let's say the Bucks were ahead. But would you favor the Clippers because of their depth and the way that they can play so many styles, or would you favor 
the Lakers because of, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis is somebody who you really can't contain with maybe an Avika Zubac or a Montrez Harrell. How, how do you think about that matchup? So it's weird because um, I think there's a higher chance that the Clippers are upset before the conference finals than the Lakers, but I like them a lot in the matchup versus the Lakers. Um, the, the, as the season went on, the Clippers didn't take as many threes, but they have the capacity when they do decide to shoot threes, they shoot a ton and the Lakers never do. And that math problem gets to be a real issue when you're trading threes for twos. It's just, it's hard to keep up. The Lakers floor is very high. The Clippers ceiling is extremely high. Um, I think there are, I think it would be a great series. I think it would go long. I think it would probably go seven games, but in a seven game series, like I just tend to trust LeBron and I know that everyone's like, but Kawhi, I know I view Kawhi's career a little bit differently. It's not that I don't think that he's brilliant. Like he's insane. Like his versatility, his efficiency across whatever set that you put him into is unbelievable off the catch, pick and roll on cuts, spotting up. It doesn't matter. The guy's just cold-blooded. Love Paul George. did a big feature on him last year for Action Network for his MVP case. But the supporting pieces I'm not as sold on. Anytime that Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell are on the court, it's like, oh, look at how good they are offensively. But they are a defensive sieve. They They are going to play those two together and teams are going to target them. And you can't bench them because they both ha- think that they're all-stars and they'll, there will be problems if they don't play. And you can pick on that combo and pick and roll and target them in a way that with the Lakers, I don't know who you're targeting. You can't, ta- you can't target Caruso. You can't target LeBron. You can't target Davis. You can't target Dwight Howard or JaVale. And they have backline coverage if, you tar- if they need to switch. The only one you can really get to is like Kuzma if he plays, but Kuzma doesn't have the weight or pull to be on the floor at all times. They'll go smaller and put KCP on there or another wing or one of the new guys that they added um, into those lineups. The Lakers have a lot fewer risks. I think the issue with the, with the Clippers Lakers series for the Lakers is just simply, can you keep up offensively? And a lot of that's going to depend on these new guys that they added and if they can get Danny Green loose. Ultimately, I like the Lakers to win the title. I think that, that most of the outcomes result in them winning the title. Um, mm-hmm. But the Clippers-Lakers matchup is, is going to be one that I'd have to spend a long time. Like, I have all this advance on it. I still don't know who I will wind up picking if that's it. It's really tough, and I think that point that you made is an interesting one. I have not heard that, and I consume a lot of basketball stuff, a lot of bas- basketball content. I have not heard that one where kind of their defense serving against them because Lou Will and Trez are, you know, widely known as their third and fourth best players, or at least that's how it's looked at in generally. And I think that's kind of, that kind of takes away from the defense, like you said. I do think the defensive pieces they have there uh, are really good. I think they can kind of put together some really interesting closing lineups, whatever style they can play. My concern with the Lakers, and I, I think another point that you brought up there was you can't really target anybody. That's another one that I haven't really heard. I thought that was great stuff. But the one thing with the Lakers on defense, I know they were an elite defense all year, but with that specific matchup, how do you go about guarding the Clippers elite wings with the with the Lakers roster, knowing that, yes, LeBron is an ideal guy to guard one of them, but we know how he is. Uh, you know, he generally will guard somebody else and they kind of uh, move up a little bit into guarding the stars later on as the game goes. I don't know if he'll have that, uh, you know, that luxury with this roster because I just don't know who the other big wing defenders are on this team. It's like, would you feel good throwing Danny Green on Paul George, LeBron on Kawhi, or would you just say, hey, try to score on our defense with this just big team, LeBron, AD, JaVale. How, how would you go about that, that matchup there? 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting in terms of both of them would be trying to pull the other one into the matchup they want, right? Like the the wings are going to be trying to get to where, look, we got to get another wing on the floor and move Davis to five, which gets that size off the court because Davis just can't hang with those guys. While the Lakers would be very much like, let's make them guard Davis. Like, let's make Kawhi who historically has struggled a lot with larger defend with larger guys to defend. That's one area where he can get bullied a little bit. Let's put him versus like make him play Davis if they want to go small. Um, and that will wind up leaning towards in, in our direction. I think that that back and forth pull would be really interesting. Um, I still think though that they have a lot of options for what they can do. This is also where the Morris twins come into play. Like this is where the Morris twins become a, a really big deal is um, the Clippers will likely deploy Marcus Morris to take some of the minutes on LeBron just so Kawhi and Paul George don't have to. And then the Lakers will use Markeith a little bit to counter Kawhi Leonard and just be like, we're, you know, we can live with you picking up some fouls here. You can play him physical, just make it hard on him. Um, I think they have some options. I think that they could do okay on it. I think in reality, Kawhi is going to go supernova and they're going to focus in on everybody else. Like this is probably the most sustainable model is – if you are able to make it into it's just Kawhi and then the rest of the Clippers look a little bit anemic and you're, you're, they're forced to play Lou Williams to create some offense and now you're picking on that combination in pick and roll, like that's going to be that back and forth battle that I think will be really difficult. A lot of it is, you know, they have guys that throw at LeBron, but I'm still just like, yeah, but it's not going to matter because it's LeBron. And it's like the Clippers have – the Lakers have guys that throw at Kawhi, but it's not going to matter – a lot of that becomes pressure on Paul George. And I think Paul George, his performance in Indiana in the playoffs gets overlooked a lot when we talk about him, but there's really no way to get past how bad he was in OKC these last two playoff runs. Last year, I gave him a break because his shoulder was hurt, but um, they would make Paul George, they would go to Paul George and be like, you're going to have to beat us. The same way I think the Clippers will probably go and and be like, look, Anthony Davis has never been in a Western Conference Finals game. You're going to have to beat us. You, you are going to have to beat us. Um, and that that back and forth makes for great television, but it's also the most sound strategy. I think it'd be really interesting to watch. Okay, I've got one rapid fire heat prediction question here. I know predictions aren't exactly, you know, we kind of look down on them as an NBA Twitter community, but in general, I think this is something, you know, we're going into the playoffs here. What percentage chance would you give the Heat of their two most likely matchups? Let's say the Sixers and the Bucks. What percentage would you give rapid fire for each matchup there? I think they have a 40% chance versus the Sixers. I think they have a 45% chance versus the Bucks. Wow. That's high. <laughs> I like that. That's, that's high. I think Heat fans like that. All right, and I got one more prediction for you, and then we're going to let you go. Again, follow Matt Moore at HP Basketball. Uh, 2021, okay? I'm going to give you – it's more than one prediction. Real quick, certain players, where they end up. Giannis, does he remain in Milwaukee? No. Oh, then I got to ask a follow where (laughs) (laughs) Toronto, Dallas or Miami or somewhere else. One of the California teams. Wow. You think he'd go play with LeBron? Look, man, you've been doing this as long as I have. They all want to be in California. Okay. So, so, so you thinking he wants to play with Curry. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Oh, All right. Okay. So, so, so if that's the case, if Giannis does not end up in Miami and there's a lot of talk about Bam delaying the extension and the masking him, um, do any of the premium two guards in your view end up in Miami? The ones we've been talking about lately, Beal, Mitchell, Oladipo. 
Yes, one of them winds up in Miami. Prediction? <laughs> uh, I'll take Oladipo. I, I think that I think um, having done as much aggregation work as I did early in my career, there are certain patterns that you watch out for for guys' exit, and Oladipo is ticking off all of those. And as far as what's gone on over the last couple of months, is that core Oladipo, Bam, Jimmy enough to win the East? No. Okay. Wow. Okay. Would you give up Hero to get Oladipo? Yes. Okay. All right. That's that's uh, that's interesting. I'll leave Alex. Alex has got one more for you, and then you're walking out the door. What you got? I'm so, he, I mean, these rapid fire. You've been amazing in the rapid fire too. Not that you're not great in the long form because you're so very. You know, you go through these scenarios very thoughtfully. But with the rapid fire, there you just kind of snuck one by. I think that would interest Heat fans, and that you would give the Heat a slightly higher percent chance at getting the Bucks over the Sixers. What what makes the Sixers matchup just that much tougher than the Bucks uh, as far as the Heat? Because I think that's something that fans would really be interested in so i love bam versus Embiid, but i do think that uh mb probably winds up winning that matchup enough and while i think jimmy has a big mental edge over the sixers i do think <laughs> that ultimately like there's enough there's enough weaponry on i look at my at the sixers roster if they're maximized with ben simmons at the four there's just more firepower there and i wind up trusting them as long as they can defend all right. Well, the, I think the worst possible outcome from the Heat for Heat fans this year is losing to Philadelphia. I, oh, right? no, we no, agree no, on that. No that doubt, is the no worst. No that is the worst possible process over culture. The worst possible outcome. <laughs> Matt, you've been more than generous with your time. We appreciate it. Again, follow him at HP Basketball. Follow him on the Action Network. Nobody breaks it down quite like him. Thanks for doing it. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.